Before I get into the message, um, uh, this coming week on Friday, as, as many of you are aware, is Veterans Day. So it's, it's almost a week away yet, but I wasn't sure which Sunday we would talk about it and pray for veterans, so I thought, well, it'll be this Sunday, because I'm up here, and no one can really stop me, right? <laughs> so... In, in this congregation, we have a number of veterans, and, uh, and, and obviously the, their service to our country should not go overlooked. And, and this is also a time, especially on Friday, when you can be praying for, for the veterans that are currently serving, for those who have served, and obviously for those who, who have served and, and given their life so that you and I can have these freedoms we enjoy every day. While I was in the Marine Corps, uh, I, I was uh, stationed at the Naval Academy. There's 4,000 midshipmen at, at, the, at the Naval Academy. And uh, while I was there, I, I led one of the uh, extracurricular activities, Fellowship of Christian Athletes was the name of it. And w together on that campus of 4,000, when we would have events, anywhere from four to 700 midshipmen would show up for these Christian events to praise the Lord, and every week, at least 500 are actively engaged in Bible studies every single week. And these are the leaders that then go out and get commissioned in, in the Navy and in the Marine Corps. And, and so this is the type of impact. These ministries are happening all across the United States. They happen at all the service academies. They happen on every single base. So there's an, another opportunity for you to, if you want to get involved in Christian outreach to those that are serving in the military. There's tons of opportunities. So here in our congregation, we have uh, someone very special, Ron, who is actually a World War II veteran. So uh, thank you, Ron, for your service. So in addition, we have several who have served. So if you are a veteran, if you could please stand and we'll recognize you. Don't be shy. I'm already standing. So... <laughs> All right, so let's give them all a hand. All right, thank you guys. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you. So just please be in, in prayer for uh, those who have served, and, and remember them on Friday especially. And, and if, if you think about it, on Thursday, that's the Marine Corps birthday, November 10th. So say if you know someone who was in, in the Marine Corps, just wish them a happy birthday. And you just walk up to them and say, happy birthday, Marine. And that's... They will appreciate it, trust me. All right, so this morning, we're going to be in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. So if you want to start turning there, and uh, we're going to be going, hopefully, through the about 40 verses in this. I know it's a big chunk. And uh, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a summary as we go through. And today's Sunday, November 6th, and in two days... We have an election coming. And as you look at the candidates that are before us, Clinton and Trump, there's probably nobody in the room that's overly excited about either one of them, right? They're probably not your favorites. Uh, and, and in addition to that, there are several, especially in California, several state ballots and local elections that are significant to what will happen in, in the future. And so as we look at what's happened up to this point, and we start to think about how did we get where we are? How do we end up with these two candidates as our front runners? How do we get to, at this place? 
especially when we consider that according to a, a poll that was done in December in 2015, 75% of Americans identify themselves as Christians, or at least having Christian values. And another poll I looked at that was done a little later said the number was probably somewhere around 70%. So even though that number is declining slightly, we live in a republic where we elect representatives, and that is by far a majority of the people. 70% is a huge majority. So, you know, you may wonder, in this you know, republic where 70% of these of Americans are saying that they're Christians, it should be more than enough to elect leaders who uphold moral and ethical standards and are willing to lead based on the principles of Christianity that you and I know about. If they're reading their Bible and they say they're a Christian, how do we end up where we are? These are some of the things that were going through my mind as I was putting together this sermon because what we'd like is true servant leaders who put the needs of others before themselves. That's what the, the Bible talks all about, and there's plenty of examples there. So yet, as we look at the choices that are before us, it doesn't seem like we consistently get those types of leaders. I'm sure there are some, but they, they seem to be in the minority, those that are true servant leaders. So in this confusing time, as I was praying and preparing what I was going to say this morning and what passage I was going to look at, and what I should speak about in the midst of kind of this troubled time of turmoil, I'm sure all of us kind of feel that just to, to one degree or another. I thought back to Israel. So many of you or some of you on, on uh, Monday nights were going through the book of Jeremiah. And it talks about this very troubled time in Israel leading up to the destruction of the temple. And even in that time when things were horribly wrong, there were men and women of faith who walked faithfully with God, and Jeremiah was one of them. So this morning, we're going to look at a, a, a lamentation that Jeremiah wrote just after the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. So if you think that we live in an uncertain time, now our nation, you may think it's crumbling around us, but it's not literally in ruins yet. He literally saw his entire country destroyed, a country of millions of people destroyed down to about 4,600 exiles that are taken into exile into to Babylon. Yet he remained faithful. And so we're going to look at this man, Jeremiah, and this lamentation he wrote and, and see if there's some application for us in this uncertain time as we, we lead into Tuesday coming up, right, and the aftermath you know, of, of whatever that's going to look at. And, and hopefully, by the end of today, we'll have this anchor in Christ and in the Word of God so that when that uncertain time comes, we will not be shaken. We will be resolved to follow the Lord. And that's the idea. So we're going to look to God and His Word for answers on how we are to act in these uncertain times. So before we jump into chapter 3. I'm going to open up into a word of prayer, and then I'm going to give us a little background historically to what's happening at this time. So would you join me with me in prayer, please? Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together. We know, Lord, it's because you uphold our nation. You're the one who uh, works in the leaders and, and has shaped this country so that we can gather freely here today and worship you and come together, Lord. 
Help us to use these freedoms that we have to glorify your name. And help us, Lord, to set aside the distractions of the world and the events around us, to gather at your feet, to learn from your word, and to hear from you, Lord. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Give us open minds and, and help us, Lord, to just draw near to you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we dive into chapter 3, I'm going to give probably about a 10-minute his history lesson, because I'm assuming most of us are not very familiar with what was going on leading up to this time. And it's very important when we read this lamentation to understand this historical background, to understand what Jeremiah was going through, and understand a little bit about who he was. So Jeremiah is the author of Lamentations, and... What was happening at this time, when Jeremiah was called to be a prophet, King Josiah was ruling in Israel. So by this time, the, the country of Israel had been split into two parts. There was a northern kingdom referred to as Israel, and a southern kingdom referred to as Judah. About 80 years before Jeremiah was born, the northern kingdom was taken away captive and destroyed by Assyria. So they're, they're gone by the time Jeremiah is on the scene. So the southern kingdom of Judah remains, which is where the capital city of Jerusalem was. And he started preaching and was called, started as a prophet and was called by God in the reign of Josiah. And he continued in that ministry for about 40 years, all the way up until when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys the temple and takes uh, those that are in Jerusalem captive. And he lives a little bit beyond that time as well. So this is about 600 years before Jesus was born, if you want to kind of put it in the timeline of where we're at. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was called by God as a very young man, and he was a priest, so he was from the, the, the tribe of Levi. And he was faithful to deliver God's message for over 40 years to a people who would not listen. They did not hear his message, and ultimately the country is destroyed. But yet, Jeremiah remained faithful. And he spoke to those in Jerusalem at the same time that Ezekiel is speaking to the first group of captives that were taken captive uh, in Babylon. So if you want to get kind of a comparison of what's going on, you can read Ezekiel, you can read Jeremiah, and, you'll, and then there's a little bit in Second uh, uh, Chronicles and Second Kings that talks a little bit about what's going on there. And God's call for Jeremiah was simple. He told him, to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. And that was his call. And Jeremiah did that. And the book of Jeremiah records for us a 51, the word of the Lord came, phrases, and then messages that God gave to Jeremiah, and then Jeremiah delivered to the people. And that's really what the book of Jeremiah has you know, through the whole thing. Now, if you do take the time to read through Jeremiah, it's not in chronological order, so keep that in mind. Right? It's, it doesn't read like a, like a history book, verse by verse through history. But when you get down to the end, you'll get kind of a good picture of what was going on. So Jeremiah was faithful. He did what God told him to do. Now, by the time God first spoke to Jeremiah, uh, this, the nation was split into two parts, as I said. And Jeremiah was sent to speak to that southern kingdom. And Jer Jerusalem was the capital city of that southern kingdom, and that's where the temple of God was. So this is the temple that Solomon built in his time, and is still standing at the time that Jeremiah first begins his ministry. 
but it was eventually destroyed um, by the time this lamentation is written. And he was called to speak God's truth, and he began to deliver God's message to the people during the reign of King Josiah. Now, King Josiah is pretty interesting. He follows after uh, some evil kings in the southern kingdom, but King Josiah actually started a revival in the southern kingdom. He became king when he was eight years old, and he reigned for 31 years. And during his reign, the southern kingdom enjoyed this revival. He reinstituted the Passover, and according to kings, that hadn't been done since the time that they came out of Egypt, right? When they were conquering the land, they hadn't kept the Passover that way. And he even set up the Levites to go and teach the word of God in all the cities of the southern kingdom. So this revival is happening. And he, he cleansed the temple, reinstituted, reinstituted all of the things that they were supposed to be doing in the temple. So everything was seen to be going well, and it's at this time that Jeremiah is called in to start giving his message. So prior to the reign of Josiah, the people had fallen into idol worship. They even got to the point where they were sacrificing their children to pagan false gods, and they were disobeying the Lord. So that led up to this time of revival for, for Josiah. And it was during this time that, that Jeremiah begins his message. Soon after Josiah dies the nation immediately falls back into idol worship because they had just done this surface revival and it hadn't taken root in their hearts. So, and, and, and that's part of the message that Jeremiah delivered to them. So we kind of get a glimpse into the heart of God as you read through the book of Jeremiah. God was revealing to them their sin with the hope that they would confess their sin, turn from their ways, and follow God. And God told the people through Jeremiah that he was merciful and that they were to acknowledge their guilt and he would heal their faithlessness and, and bring them back to the Lord. But it doesn't happen. So when that godly king Josiah dies, a wicked king stands up in his place and the nation of Israel doesn't listen. They do not acknowledge their guilt and God gives, gives them over eventually to King Nebuchadnezzar who destroys the entire country and the temple. So that's leading up to this point. So when we come to Lamentations, the point in history we are is it's written by Jeremiah after the destruction of Jerusalem and after everyone is taken captive. And in the Septuagint, which is a translation of the scriptures into Greek, and it was done by 70 Hebrew scholars in about 200 B.C. So this would have been roughly 400 years after Jeremiah, roughly. So they preface this book of Lamentations that we have in front of us with these words. And it came to pass that after Israel had been carried away captive and Jerusalem had been made desolate, Jeremiah sat weeping and lamented this lament over Jerusalem and said, How doth the city sit solitary? So tradition tells us that Jeremiah wrote this book from Golgotha in one of the caves that make up the skull that's in Golgotha. And from that vantage point, he would have been able to look out and see the entire city. So remember, this is after the destruction. So as he looks out, he's going to see the temple destroyed, the wall destroyed, and all the buildings leveled. Utter destruction is what he's going to look out. And as he looks out and sees this destruction all around him, that's when he writes this lamentation that we have in front of us. Now keep in mind, 
This is the culmination of 40 years of ministry, 40 years of faithfully delivering God's message. Please repent. Please repent. This is your sin. God wants to heal you. Turn back to the Lord. Turn back to the Lord. And it's all destroyed. So that's how this book was written. So it records for us the grief of Jeremiah as he looked out from this vantage point. Now, chapter 3 is interesting because it's kind of written similar to a psalm or, or a poem of history. So it's broken down into, six, into 66 triads with each of the, the three verses starting with a letter from the Greek alphabet, and it goes through all 22 letters. So that's how it's written. So it has this certain uh, poetic-type uh, rendering to it. So this is a rather lengthy introduction, I understand, but it helps to kind of set the scene as, as we dig into to chapter 3. So chapter 3, as we come to chapter 3, it's broken into three parts, and we're going to look at each of those parts this morning. Verses 1 through 18 talk about the devastation and affliction of Jerusalem. So this is what Jeremiah records for us as he looks out over the city. And then verses 19 through 21, there's kind of this significant transition that happens. And then verses 22 through 40, it talks about our hope. And originally, I was just going to start in chapter 20, or verse 22. But I think we kind of lose sight of, of how dramatic this transition is if we don't look at this utter devastation he's looking out on as he writes this. So we're going to attempt to go through this. Now, some of this we're going to go through rather quickly, and other passages we'll slow down a little bit on. But I'm going to read this in two parts. Uh, first, we'll look at the first 21 verses, and then we'll look at 22 through 40. Now, as we read this first section, I want you to, to consider a couple of things. It's a little long, so as we go through, you'll be able to follow along in your Bibles. So, like I said, it, it's, it's this historical poem of... of in, in one sense. So as we read it, there's, there's some personification that happens. So when you see the phrases uh, me and my and I, look at this as Jeremiah kind of projecting onto the nation of Israel. So when you see things like me and my and I, think Israel, or it, more specifically Judah, the southern kingdom, but think that in your mind. And when you see the phrases he and him and his, think of God. That's, that's what that pronoun is referring to. All right, so I'm going to read it as, as it's written, but in your mind kind of maps that out as we're kind of working through this section. And as we read through this, um, remember that for 40 years, Jeremiah has told them to repent, but they did not listen. And, and he's looking out at this destruction, and inspired by God, he writes these words. So let's read the first 21 verses of, of chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the wrath, rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. 
He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts. All day long, he has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So as we think of this passage that's before us, and we consider kind of the, the gravity and heaviness of Jeremiah's words, we see some, what I think are, are rather alarming verses as, as we read through here. They're pretty, they're pretty stark. And it seems that God has abandoned his people and that he will not listen to them. And that's kind of like a first glance of what you get here. Now, we know the history, so keep that in mind. God did preserve a remnant. He does call King Cyrus, who sends them back to rebuild the temple, and he restores them. But he judged Israel because they were disobedient. And repeatedly he reached out to them, and they disobeyed. And so what you're seeing here as you read through this, is really what it would feel like to disregard God and go your own way. Because that's what the nation had done. So that's why I wanted us to look at those pronouns as though it was the nation of Israel, because that's truly what they felt. So when we look through these passages, like at verse 2, where it says that God has brought darkness into Jerusalem without any light. Well, that was true. It actually happened. Because of their disobedience, that's what happened. And verse 7, God walled about Jerusalem so that it could not escape. That happened as well. King Nebuchadnezzar's army surrounded the entire city. No one could escape. They went through this terrible time of famine and pestilence as a result of the siege that, that King Nebuchadnezzar brought against the city. And then down in verse 17 where he talks about my soul is bereft of peace. They had no peace. They were about ready to be destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And verse 18, my endurance has perished, so, so has my hope from the Lord. So this word picture that, that's used by Jeremiah, it's very vivid. I mean, you, you can really get a sense for what he's saying about this country. And he, and he paints this picture of how the nation of Israel, Israel actually felt when they were judged by God for their continual sin. This is the picture that we have before us. And keep in mind, up to this point, God had sent them prophets. They had killed them and ignored them and listened to them. God had reached out to them for hundreds of years through dozens of prophets. And Jeremiah sits above the city looking out at the destruction. He captures for us what it feels like to reject God and face his punishment for our sins. This is the picture we have in front of us. So this is a feeling none of us should ever face. 
right? We shouldn't be in this place. You know, if you're here today, my assumption is you have a desire to walk with the Lord. And you have a desire to be obedient to what He's calling you to do. So, why this passage then, today? Why am I going through this in this, this way? Why are we, what, what can we learn from this? What might there be for us to learn from a passage like this? Well, I think that a passage like this provides warning and motivation for us. Well, first, a warning. Eventually, God will judge sin. And those who continually reject God will one day reach the tipping point when God's grace is, re- is, is overridden by God's judgment. We all know that that's, that's a fact. And before you quickly dismiss this as saying, ah, that's going to happen to somebody else. I don't have to worry about any of these things here. If you go back and read Jeremiah chapter 3 through 6, you see that God delivers an indictment against the people of Judah in the midst of a revival. Remember this godly King Josiah that I mentioned? That was happening when Jeremiah began his message. They had the word of God. They actually cleaned out the temple and found the word of God. And they read it in front of all the people. And they wept and said they would never disobey God again. Yet, as short as 25 to 30 years later, the entire temple is destroyed and all the people are taken captive. So something obviously happened where they had access to the truth and the truth of God did not penetrate their hearts. That's what was going on. So they had turned to God in pretense, but not with their whole heart. Jeremiah was giving them the message from the Lord. He wanted their whole heart. He wanted them to return fully to the Lord. Well, how about us? Is your heart fully turned to God? Now, I'm certainly not trying to, to jump into the muddy waters of once saved, always saved, and you, know, you can lose your salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. What these people had done was, here in this passage, God had been reaching out to his people in grace for hundreds of years, and they did not listen. And even this people here that were, that were destroyed in Jerusalem didn't listen. And worse than that, they thought that since they were children of Abraham and they worshipped in the temple of the Lord and they claimed to follow God, that they had a guaranteed path to heaven. They thought they were on the right path and they ignored the truth that was told to them because they thought, oh, I'm a child of Abraham. I worship at the temple. You know, I say the, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, everything is fine. But they didn't hear the message that God had for them through Jeremiah, through Ezekiel, and through all the other prophets, and through the Word of God. Somehow they had gotten to the point where their hearts were hard, and they couldn't hear the truth. And so I think that's something for us to consider. You know, many of us have have probably been Christians many years, dozens of years. Some of you maybe 60 or 70 years of walking with the Lord. And the idea is we want to walk with the Lord in such a way that our heart is pliable, that, that we don't presume upon the grace of God. We hear his message that he has for us. And we're open to the word of God so that he can do that work of sanctification that he's doing in each and every one of our hearts. There are so many things he's working on with me on a daily basis, every day. But if I harden my heart and think, oh, I'm a Christian, I don't have to listen to that message, we could end up in this same place. And if you think of the statistics in the country, if 70% of our country is Christians, how do we end up where we are now 
in the mess that we have. You know, somewhere, somehow, there must be some hard hearts where the truth is not penetrating. And, and I don't want that for us. You know, have your heart open to the Lord. Be pliable. To keep your heart open before the Lord. We have many war- warnings that we're not to think that our position in Christ has anything to do with us. Our position in Christ is, is through faith by grace, not of works. And we need to strive to continually draw near to God so that he can do his work of sanctification in our lives. That's what we're to do. We must not presume upon the grace of God, but draw near to God with a humble heart so that he can mold us and shape us into his image. And it's passages like this that should remind us to do that so that we can walk humbly before the Lord, so that we don't get into this situation here. So are your hearts truly open to all that God has to say, or do you think you've arrived I've, I've learned that. I've heard that passage before. I'm good to go. Mm, pretty dangerous place to be. Make it your goal to be an active learner and listener before God. Come every time expecting to hear from him, knowing he has something for you. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be a word of, of uh, correction. Who knows? But just come with that open heart so you can hear. Now, the other thing I think a passage like this can be used for us is to remind us that all who do not know Jesus, they're going to face this. So this should be motivation for us to go share the word of God. I know Chris is, is leading an evangelism class, and it's think passages like this that should give us a heart to share God's love with others, because this is the end result if, if they don't come to know the Lord Jesus. So this should really move us to action, and we should take every opportunity to reach out to those who are lost with the message of hope of the gospel. So just because people today, I think people today think, well, I've been doing what I've been doing for a long time. Obviously, God doesn't care. Well, we know that's not true, right? And maybe that's what they were saying up to this point, too, right? You're talking about hundreds of years of disobedience that led up to the point when they were ultimately destroyed. So we've got to help people remember that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God desires that all men are to be saved, and he has sent his son to them. He is drawing near to them, and and, and he wants to uh, invite them into the family. So use this message as a motivation to reach out to those that are lost and, and tell them the truth of God. Because they need to hear it for sure. Now, Jeremiah lived through all this. Remember, he he had 40 years of ministry of delivering God's word. And uh, through all, and now he's staring out at this destruction. And he was there in the midst of the destruction as it happened. Uh, he, He went through decades of pain and suffering. He suffered abuse. He was thrown in prison. At one point, he was thrown into a cistern up to his armpits in human waste for days. And they finally rescued it from him because, you know, they feared he would die. He endured horrific things that you can't even imagine, yet he was faithful, right? He faithfully delivered God's message to a people who did not hear and did not receive. So... He, he gives this summary for us, but then we see this kind of transition begin to happen in verse 19. 
Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. So Jeremiah asked the Lord in verse 20, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So as, as he looked at all of this, his soul was bowed down to the point he was essentially crushed under the weight of it. So maybe that's similar to how you feel now as you look at what's going on in the world and as you follow the election coverage and everything that's been happening. Like, how did we get to this place? It's just too much to even fathom that we would be here in this place in this country where these are our two choices. This is the best we have to offer in front of us. And so I'm not sure if you're there, but I know that I've been thinking about that. So when Jeremiah's heart is troubled and he's in this place, right, where, where he, he sees all this destruction, verse 21, he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. So when you're in that place, when you're in that place where you just feel the weight of everything upon you, what do you do? Where do you turn? Jeremiah uses this little word here in this verse, this. And then he goes on in verses 22 to 40 to describe the this and everything that's involved in that. That little word there means so much. So as we read through these next, this next passage from 22 down to 40, pick out the phrases in there that speak to your heart that give you hope. That's the substance of really of this message because... When we're in the midst of this turmoil and, and things are bad, and I got news for you, they're probably getting worse, right? I mean, it, as we look around, you know, if, you, if you're waiting for the election to solve your problems, oof, wow, probably not going to happen, okay? But, but this will give us hope. And so as we read through this passage, look for phrases that, that give you hope. So join with me as we read through this next section. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to, sub to subvert a man in his lawsuit. The Lord does not approve. Who has spoken, and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain? a man about the punishment of his sins. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to the God of heaven. 
So we don't have time to go through every promise, every hope-filled promise that's in this passage. But there's a few things I want to highlight as, as, as we consider this passage here. So verse 22 through 25 are some of my favorite in all of Scripture. So I, I use this passage a lot just, just to think about uh, this truth. So he starts in verse 22 and he says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to, to an end. Have you ever stopped to consider what the greatest gift is that you've ever received? How would you answer that question? What is the greatest gift? Salvation, right? But it doesn't end there, does it? It's not just salvation. He's with us. He lives in us. He's sanctifying us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And it goes on and on and on. And that should be an anchor for all of us. And that's the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Do we take time to think about that? On, on November 9th, when the election's over, or as they fight about it in court, I'm not sure how that'll turn out, look to the heavens. Jesus is still going to be on the throne. Your position in Christ will not have changed even this much. That truth will remain solid. So if some type of... Uh, Destruction comes as a result of this election. The position you have in Christ will not be affected. He still loves you. He still pours out his mercy on you every single morning. Those mercies are new. So look for his blessings and praise him for his work in, in, in your life. Now, some of us are pessimists, right? So we, we look at a glass and, and, and we see that it's, that it's half empty. Others are optimists. They look at that same glass and they see that the glass is half full, right? Well, I think both of these are a little bit off. We should be happy we have a glass at all, right? Who cares how full it is? That's, that's irrelevant. And remember, we're called vessels of God. We're the glass, right? And God fills us afresh each and every day to overflowing. He's able to do that. And no one can take that glass away. That's the promise we have in Scripture. You are always His. You've always got that glass to hold the glory of the Lord. Is that amazing? Think about that. It doesn't matter whether it's full, empty. It's just, it doesn't even matter anymore. And that's kind of the idea. So if, if this mindset can be had by Jeremiah after 40 years of what some would say failed ministry, right? I mean, he was faithful, certainly. He did what God said, but in the end, the whole thing is destroyed and no, they didn't repent. They didn't listen. They didn't turn. This is what he anchored on. This is what gave him hope. We're not near in bad a shape in this nation as what Jeremiah beheld, or probably in most of our lives. This is how he found his hope. Passages like this. So remember that. In verse 23, he says... The mercies of the, of the Lord are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Have you ever stopped to consider that in the morning when you wake up? Build in extra time in the morning. Set your alarm 10 minutes earlier. And wake up and spend 10 minutes thinking of the fresh mercies of the Lord that have been given to you. It will change your entire perspective on life. If you just do that one simple step. Just stop 
and pause and think about what God is doing in your life, what he has done in your life, those pillars of faith that he set up throughout your life that you can look back to as anchor points that definitively speak to the fact that he loves you, he's called you, and he's working in your life. Start with that perspective. And you're probably going to need it on Wednesday morning, right? You're probably <laughs> Regardless of what happens, right? And that's, that's the idea, right? To, to use the word of God in a way to prop you up when nothing else can. And that's the idea. And that's what Jeremiah is doing here for us. Verse 24 talks about how the Lord is our portion. We're not going to elect a new Lord and Savior on Tuesday. It's not going to happen. Yes, we'll get a president, but we're going to have the same Lord. And he is our portion. He has called us to himself. That's the truth. He's our portion. Think about what that really means, right? Verses like uh, in Ephesians talks about how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So if you want to be encouraged, go through all of Scripture and find all the blessings. They've all been given to you. Now, it may not feel like it from time to time, right? The, this world can be troubling, and there can be sorrow, and there can be grief, and there can be turmoil, and there can be distraction, and there can be all these things. But that does not affect the promises that have been given to you. Those remain consistent. And that's the perspective that Jeremiah is helping us to see here. And then this idea in verses 25 and 26, the Lord is good for those who wait on him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. If you're like me, you spend almost every day rushing from task to task. Your to-do list is way longer than you have time, and you're distracted by a whole bunch of different things that compete for your time. All of us probably say that, could say that. But are we taking time to just be a child of God? Build that into your schedule if you have to. Put it right in there. Set a reminder in your phone. Hey, be a child of God for the next 10 minutes. Just sit here and be who God's created you to be. Wow. Imagine how that would change your busy day. 10 minutes, right? That's all it would take. Guarantee that it, it will have a, a, an impact to reflect upon the mercies of God and the hope we have in Him. Sit and wait on the Lord. Listen for His voice. Sift through the noise and the bustle and the news and the election and work and all the other things that are going on and just wait on the Lord. So as I was praying about this passage, I had chosen the passage. The Lord had laid on my heart to go through Lamentations chapter 3. And I knew that's what He wanted me to speak on today. And then as I read through it, I'm like, really, Lord? That? What am I going to say about that? How is that going to happen? So earlier in the week, as my work schedule fills up and your home life fills up and everything else fills up, the, the words in this sermon were not filling up. <laughs> it, it wasn't coming to me as to what the Lord wanted me to say. So I was driving to work on Thursday morning, and I just, Lord, what, what am I going to say about these passages? I had read through them and had been praying about them and meditating on them. And in about 15 minutes, the Lord gave me just a flood of the first half of the sermon. So I got to work and wrote it down really fast and, and typed it all up so I would remember it. 
But see, I took time to just say, okay, let me get out of the way. Let me separate all the busyness, all the schedules, all this. What do you have for me, Lord? What do you want me to do? And that's the idea, those who wait patiently on the Lord. And that's the idea that I think Jeremiah is trying to, con to, to convey to us here. Patiently wait on him. Just, just really, truly sit down with the Lord and say, Lord, okay, here I am. What do you got for me? And you might be amazed at what he says, but, but be ready because he'll expect you to do something about it. <laughs> so, as we work on finishing up here, I want to look at verse 40. Because I think this is an important uh, verse to remind us to reflect. In verse 40, he says to us, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Okay, so by the time Jeremiah is writing this, the majority of the people in Jerusalem are gone. They've all been wiped out. Now, 4,600 were taken captive, and some say that was just the men who were counted. So the highest number you'd get would probably be 12 to maybe 20,000 are, are taken captive. It's hard to say from the, from the numbers. So who's he talking to here when he says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord? Well, he's talking to all of us who walk with the Lord. As Jeremiah looked out and saw this destruction, this destruction came because a proud people who trusted in position and tradition did not listen to the word of God. And this is the result that you see here. So we see that a hard heart does not allow the word of God to penetrate. So remember this destruction and look at your own heart. Use it as a motivation to open your heart and allow God to speak to you. Receive his correction. Draw ever nearer to him. And ask him, invite him to mold and shape your heart. Be willing to, to hear those hard words. Right, of, uh, that the Lord may have for you, or that those that you love that are walking with the Lord observe in you and then point out to you. Accept those as well, right? That's important to receive them as well. And also know that God's judgment is sure. He will judge sin. So be motivated, be bold to share his word with those. Around. So as you look around at our, our nation and this election and your heart becomes troubled, very troubled perhaps, Remember Jeremiah's condition as he beheld this destruction of Jerusalem and his encouragement. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What are you calling to mind when your heart is troubled? Turn all those what's and what ifs and why's into a who? Jesus. Right? We all have those thoughts that come in. What is this? Why? What? Uh Turn, they all come. We all see them, every one of us. Turn those into a who, Jesus, and, and, and draw near to him in that midst of that troubled time. And, and go through passages like this and, and pick out these promises of God that will lead you to hope more in him because of the sure foundation that we have in him. And remember, you're God's vessel. You're his glass, doesn't matter if it's empty or half full or whatever. You're his glass, and he's the one filling you, and he's capable to fill you to overflowing again and again and again because his mercies are new every morning. If you blew it yesterday, that's okay. Tomorrow is a new day, 
agree with the Lord. Yep, that was a bad day yesterday, Lord. I didn't do anything you wanted me to do. Thank you that today is a new day. And I confess that whole entire day to you and give it over to you. And now start afresh today. What are you going to do with me today, your willing servant? How are you going to use me today? And he'll fill that glass right back up to the top each and every day. That's how his mercies are new. And that's how we can walk with him more and more each day. He's called you. He loves with you. He's within you. And every day you have the opportunity to behold the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. And every day you can see that his mercies never come to an end. Every day you can see that God is faithful. Every day you can wait on the Lord and draw near to him knowing that he loves you. So therefore, I will hope in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can hope in you. Thank you that your mercies are new every day. Thank you that you love us, Lord. And thank you that you love us enough to draw us closer and closer every day. Work in our hearts, Lord, to make us more like you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.